2: Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us as we begin the Wednesday edition of the program, the day after Election Day, one year until basically the 2024 elections. And we are live at Mar-a-Lago down in West Palm Beach in the third hour of the program Make sure that you are with us because Donald Trump will be here live on the air for an hour with us to finish the show today. In the meantime, we've got a lot to react to. We'll take some of your calls, 800-282-2882. But election night 2023 has now come and passed. And, Buck, I jotted down three things that, based on looking at the data jumped out to me, and I want to get your reaction to each of these things, the lessons potentially that could be gleaned from what we saw happen in last night's results. Number one, and this is probably the most disappointing to me, and I know it's disappointing to you, Buck, because it's one reason that you moved down to Florida. Kentucky Governor Bashir was reelected by about five points, 52 to 47 or thereabouts, beat Daniel Cameron the Attorney General, Republican candidate from the state of Kentucky. And what really fires me up about this, this point one, is there were no consequences for COVID. Andy Bashir was wrong on everything. And we've talked about this a lot on the program. No Democrat lost his or her job for being wrong on COVID. And it might be frustrating if it's Gavin Newsom or if it's someone in New York or a blue city or blue state But you can at least understand that because the people there might be refusing to acknowledge that they were wrong and they're just going to vote for their tribe. Donald Trump, if he is the nominee, is going to win Kentucky by 30 points. Andy Beshear, the Democrat, got everything wrong on COVID. He kept kids out of school. He made them wear masks. And yet there were no consequences, even in a red state. Here's a little sports analogy for you, Buck. The only southeastern conference state that is the sec state that is going to have a democrat governor come january is kentucky and it's just frustrating so that's my biggest takeaway point one i mean and i know know, it fires you up too
1: well of course because you didn't have the consequences of uh or for any of these democrat governors any of these democrat politicians across the country I think a lot of people have just uh, moved on from COVID. Um, people don't want to really think about it anymore. To me, it's more a function, though, of is this individual somebody who has good judgment in a moment of crisis? I think that you know everything you need to know about a leader's judgment based on how they responded to COVID in its totality, not just picking one week at one point in time or anything else, but look at how somebody in a position of authority handled it and you know, how are they under pressure? Do they look at the data or do they look at the polls first and foremost? And, and so it's, it's frustrating for me. But look, Clay, the, the real takeaway from last night, if we're looking at it uh, from a 30,000 foot view is it was a bad night for Republicans. Yeah. It was a bad night for Republicans in, uh, and the pro-life movement in Ohio, a bad night in Virginia, uh, obviously a bad night in, in Kentucky. And I think we get this uh if we're gonna take something away from this that might be a, a positive, it is a wake up call because we look at these different uh these different contests and, and it's a combination of things. In Virginia it's the General Assembly, which is now Democrat. Glenn Youngkin's uh dream of a general assembly that would allow him to enact conservative policies not possible uh given that the Democrats now control both uh both houses in the state legislature. Uh, Ohio, uh, changed, amended its constitution for a, uh, you know, pro-abortion, uh, pro-abortion statute. Um, that's a big loss for the pro-life movement in Ohio. Obviously, you talked about Governor Bashir getting reelected, which is very depressing. Kentucky, I do not know what is going on with Kentucky there, but we have to dig into what happened in these places because here's the truth. Even with the economy as bad as it is, even with Democrats as a party, Looking as weak as they do right now in individual states and in particular contests, whether it's on a ballot initiative or for a politician, if the other side outspends you, out hustles you and out messages you, you will lose. And when you look at the expenditures, whether it's in Virginia or in the Ohio, uh, Ohio constitutional amendment initiative, the Democrats wildly outspent Republicans in these areas. And you say to yourself, well, guess what, guys? That stuff matters.
2: Yeah, look, and that's why my number one is Kentucky. My number two, look, Glenn Youngkin wasn't able to flip Virginia, and he put a lot of his political capital in. I think Glenn Youngkin, probably in the last two and a half years, what you would point to is the biggest and best surprise for Republicans. Now, I will say it was still very even. So while Virginia did not flip, It was still, if you go look at the numbers and compare it to 2021, it is very similar. Given that Biden won that state by 10, there are still some encouraging numbers. And then the last one, you hit on it. Abortion's still a challenge. And we talked about on this show that in post-Roe v. Wade America, there hasn't been some massive decline in abortions. In fact, according to the data... Basically, abortion stayed the same, went up a little bit because some blue states got more liberal in their perspective. But they're going to try. And I was reading this morning as uh, as the uh, the data came in on Ohio, they're going to try to get an abortion referendum on the ballot in Arizona. They're going to try. They already got one on the ballot in Ohio and Michigan that were both successful. They had one in Kansas. They're going to try to put these on as many different toss-up states as, to try to drive up Democrat votes, that it could become impactful in 2024. And we'll talk about this some with Donald Trump, who has been trying to address this issue. Uh, but I think you have to keep in mind that the fear, even if it's not supported necessarily by logic, the fear, given the amount of money, as you mentioned, that's going to be spent, is still going to resonate with many particularly young female voters who otherwise might not be as engaged to go vote. Well, you
1: know, there's a split within the GOP right now, and and it's a a powerful one. It's something that's important to figure out going forward. And you really have – because, look, the GOP is the pro-life party. The Democrats are the pro-abortion party. This has been the case for a long time. And it's a major divide. I mean, it's one of the primary ways you'll know whether someone's a Republican or a Democrat is where they fall on this issue. But if you look at what has happened in these different states and you look at the 2024 election now just in the not-too-far-off distance, there's going to be, it's already happening, a debate between do we go all in where we can to protect as much life as we can, or is it a better strategy to moderate and have the incrementalism that the left used for many years on abortion to get to the most extreme positions in reverse. Effectively, do you make the political calculation that, you know, you're going to accept abortion for the first 12 weeks or, you know, you're going to accept abortion for in some of these states and, and then hope that you can change minds in these states over time so that you get to a true pro-life position or is that an abandonment and a betrayal? Of the pro-life movement that's been working for decades and decades and feels that this issue is about more than just politics. right? But the problem, of course, becomes if it's about more than politics and you lose and then you have the most extreme abortion laws possible in the state because of how you've messaged it politically, you're going to have, you know, greater loss of life and, and you're going to be in a worse position. So. No one's really figured out how this, you know, how to handle this perfectly yet. I think Trump has said, and we'll ask him about this today in the third hour, that this is going to be a states issue, which was the whole basis for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So that's consistent. Um, but it, it's it's uh, people on the pro life side, and I know many of them, and you know, I've uh, I've had friends who've been working hard in the pro life movement since I was in college. They are uh, discouraged, some of them right now. That doesn't mean they're giving up. They're just they feel like what's going on in some of these states. We have to get the messaging right. I think Nikki Haley has handled
2: it well. I, I think you pivot from the data reflects. This is just purely political analysis. There are 10% of people who believe that there should be no exceptions at all, according to electoral politics. Uh, that is rape, incest, life of a mother, none of it. There are 10% of people that believe you should be able to have an abortion in the ninth month. What's interesting is that is almost uniformly the position of the Democrat Party. And what Nikki Haley did a really good job, I think in the first debate, if I recall, she was asked directly about it. And she pivoted and said, look, the Republican position is not radical. There's a variety of different positions on what the law should be and where states should draw the line, whether it's Ron DeSantis six weeks or... Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, which in a very different state, more competitive state than, uh, than Florida said 15 weeks was the, the date that he thought made sense. Let individual states decide and pivot and attack Democrats for having the radical proposition. That I think is probably the best politically uh, tangible and feasible way to victory. Uh, but it's going to have to be something that is, uh, that is adroitly managed. And I actually well, think t- Trump has done a good, decent job on it too. Well, it has to be dealt with
1: state by state. That's the whole basis for again, the overturning of Roe was not that it wasn't on the basis of we need a, a federal law that makes it illegal for anyone to have an abortion. It was. We this goes back. To it the should states. be a political it's, it's, it's issue for individual states. That's right. It's, it, that was the that was the Scalia position before he passed for many years, and and I think what you've seen also, and and for the pro life movement, which I think is is uh, understands that this for them goes beyond just the normal political issues, right? That's why there's a sensitivity here. This is about saving babies' lives, but they can see that there was uh, a you know very strong legislation passed and signed here in Florida by Governor DeSantis um not you know it's not a no exception situation uh, also very strong pro life legislation signed and passed in, in Texas Governor Abbott so there are places where there have been some victories as well on this that don't get as much attention or I should say there's been action to defend life but going into the 2024 election it is clear the Democrats believe that this is an ace up the sleeve for them. The messaging on this can deliver them victories in key swing states. And GOP has got to pivot. I mean, to your point, yeah, pointing out how extreme they are, that's the way to go. It's just hard because they have more megaphones and they can shout more loudly into them.
2: And And I think it's also important. These are not just swing states, right? Ohio is a state that. Republicans probably are going to win by 10 points oh, in the 2024 Ohio, election. Yeah. And, and not particularly close. Ohio used to be a swing state. And so where they're having success, Ohio, Kansas, these are places that, uh, are not necessarily known to be in any way competitive. I'll
1: also say whether it's in Kansas or Ohio, I mean, you look at the specific verbiage of these, um, uh, of these ballot initiatives. Or in the case of Ohio, the uh, amendment to the state constitution, and, uh, there's a, there's a Machiavellian streak in the pro-abortion side in terms of the way that they present it to the public, the messaging, you know, they know what they're doing to get the best result they can without actually telling anybody, yeah, abortion in the ninth month of a pregnancy, we think that should be legal, right? They, they somehow managed to dance around that while making it sound like everybody on the right is, uh, you know, is out of step with the public and against women's rights and, and these sorts of things. So, and they're out, they're out. Uh, fundraising. Because remember, you know, the abortion industry has been a massive there's been a massive machinery of that in terms of PR and politics for a very long time. So it's going to take some time for the pro-life side to catch up to this, because for a long time it was really just, you know, the opposition. To They're Roe. the dog.
2: They're the dog that caught the car.
1: They, now, now, now we have to figure out how we can have a movement uh that can deliver victories politically to match what the pro-abortion side for Democrats has done, which is honestly
2: one of the most important political machines the Democrats even have. It's up there with, like, the public school unions. What percentage of people do you think know on both the left and the right that the number of abortions increased with Roe v. Wade overturned? I mean, very few, but we've talked about it on this show. I think our audience does, but I think the number of people out there, I I still think the fear-mongering of they're going to show up knocking on your door if your 14-year-old daughter is pregnant, it works for democrats the, the cause for the 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 cause for hope that i think we have is that it's still very very
1: early in this process and now there's no longer a nonsense constitutional provision for them to hide behind so there is an open playing field here but Pro Life team needs to get to get its act together a little bit.
2: Now that we're entering the holiday season, cyber scammers have upped their game. They're doing a full court press to steal your online info. Their random text messages and phishing emails are so sophisticated, it's almost impossible not to be fooled. I say almost because if you have LifeLock, you've got a bodyguard of sorts. No one does a better job of scanning the web, looking for evidence that scammers have snagged your info than LifeLock. But If you do become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Having LifeLock will save you time, money, and a ton of headaches. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Protecting your identity can be easy with LifeLock. Join now and save 25% off your first year with promo code CLAY. That's C-L-A-Y. Protect yourself or a family member. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go online to lifelock.com. Use that promo code CLAY, C-L-A-Y, for 25% off.
3: From the front lines of freedom and truth,
5: Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you.
0: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back to Play and Buck, everybody. 800 282 2882. Wondering if you live in one of these states that didn't really have the result we were looking for last night. Uh, if you have any insights onto what happened here, um, very curious, very, very much wondering. Uh, what could be done in some of these places for the next time around to get a better result. So 800-282-2882 on that one. Uh, Clay, I, I will say, if we're looking for things that uh, continue to be major issues where Republicans need to not only hammer the message, but make sure they get the messaging right as well, immigration is the great weakness that I think Democrats face in the 2024 election. I thought this was so interesting. Chicago citizens here were telling an official that they no longer want to be, this is Alderman Anthony Napolitano, they no longer want to be a sanctuary city. This is cut one, play. Do you,
2: as a resident of the
1: city of Chicago, believe that we should remain a sanctuary city? It's a simple question. Clay, if the... National Democrat Party is planning to hammer, and obviously there's going to have to be a a countering of this and, and some response. They're going to hammer abortion in key states, places like Arizona, for example, uh, in order to try to gain the upper hand against Republicans. The Democrat Party and Joe Biden, this White House, this Biden regime, has made such a mess of the border – that even Democrats in major cities now are saying, we don't want a sanctuary city anymore. There's something to be, there's something here. There's, there's a way to make this the issue that everyone's thinking and talking about.
2: Well, it's going to take a Rudy Giuliani like moment for so many of these cities because Trump was their great Satan for a long time. And when you hear all those people in Chicago clamoring, Republicans didn't do this to them and realizing that you created the mess requires that you acknowledge consequences one thing that did happen philadelphia uh, elected a new mayor you know the new mayor of philadelphia running as a democrat ran on we've got to hire hundreds of cops and put criminals behind bars that's how desperate things are getting in in philadelphia that they're starting to make those arguments which are rational well
1: hopefully the mayor i don't know if the mayor can it depends on the city and and how the uh, laws are written but Uh, the Larry Krasner, the DA there is one of the worst Soros back DAs in the entire country. And he has the uh, ignominious record of taking Philadelphia to its all time, all time murder record. I think it was last year. It might have been the year before that, but it hit its all time murder record. And uh, at a time when we should be seeing just a continuous decline in in violence. So, you know, there there are some issues here where Republicans need, you know, they're going to be playing a bit of defense uh, in some of these states, but. On immigration and on crime, uh, that's where I think you can have make major inroads in some of these key battles that, lo- that loom ahead. Have you looked into this online program we've mentioned called the Secret Royalty Program? It's an IRS loophole that allows for Americans to now collect thousands of dollars or more in payouts every year. The publication Business Insider writes that this opportunity could provide, and I quote, enough money to live off of each year without having any other retirement plan. There are no age or income requirements. It's available to anyone 18 or older. There are no employment requirements. You can be working or retired. And the best part is, you don't have to be an expert in this regard, but you should hurry on this. The deadline to collect the next payout, well, it's just a few months away. So it's worth checking this out. It only takes a few minutes to get started. Here's what you got to do. Visit secretroyaltyprogram.com. Again, that website is com. You have to go before the upcoming deadline.
2: com. paid for by Wide Moat Research. We are live at Mar-a-Lago, going to be joined by President Trump, third hour of the program, a little bit over an hour and a half from now. Should be some interesting conversations to get into with him, including the response Israel has delivered to Hamas, including the civil war that has broken out inside of the Democrat Party over what is and what is not uh acceptable to say as it pertains to Hamas and their relationship with Palestine. Rashida Tlaib has actually been censured for, among other things, sharing a video uh, which encouraged the use of the phrase from the river to the sea, which is obviously a phrase that has been used to Essentially endorse the eradication of Isra- the Israeli state. Here she is crying on the house floor while the debate about her censure was playing out. Listen.
3: I can't believe I have to say this, but pa- Palestinian people are not disposable. We are human beings just like anyone else. The cries of the Palestinian and ch- Palestinian and Israeli children sound no different to me. Why? What I don't understand is why the cries of Palestinians sound different
2: to you all.
1: You know, Clay, if, if I could, I think one way that's important to think about this, um, wh- why, what would it take? What would it take for the, whether it's the students on the campuses or that we see that are pro Hamas actually in many cases, not even just pro Palestinian, but for Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, what would it take for hamas in the name of the palestinian cause to do for them to recognize that there is a moral disparity in these actors here between israel and hamas palestine etc like you know I, yeah. I, i'd be curious because if after what we just saw it's not enough for them to recognize that there is something deeply uh dark and rotten and corrupt in the soul of the palestinian cause right now what would it take what what could they do that would change the uh the the pro, uh, political proclivities if you will or the sympathies of a rashida talib because i don't know what they could do that's uglier and more horrific than what they did i i i don't know if that's even possible so what i what i mean here is you know they're trying to take a position that somehow israel is doing something immoral now and trying to fight against hamas I don't know how it's possible for Hamas to have shown itself more clearly what it is as an entity than what we saw on October 7th, and so there's something here of a uh, we've said cognitive dissonance. Maybe that's too gentle. There's a delusion here. Yeah, the delusion is that you have two people that are two, you know, moral actors that are roughly on the same plane that have roughly the same claims and ends here, and we need to just sort of figure this out. We need to negotiate out something. Hamas doesn't want to negotiate and negotiate anything. It's created a society that, unfortunately, is full of Jew hatred and that wants to destroy the state of Israel and murder as many Jews as possible. And Israel has created a country that is actually an outpost of decency, law and order, and people living their lives in a way that people all over the world would want to live their lives, peace, security, and prosperity, except for Hamas, the terrorist group, and Hezbollah and others that are trying to take that from them. So it's just... If there's not a moment of clarity now, what would it take to reach a moment of clarity?
2: Just think about this. If Rashida Tlaib in 2001 had gone on the House floor and started to cry because she was concerned that in our response to al-Qaeda, some kids would die, everyone would have said, well, that's because al-Qaeda attacked us and we must provide Hmm. a response. And more
1: Americans and American kids would die if we didn't. Fight against Al Qaeda. I mean, this is one of the ugly truths of war. It is going to result in people dying that you do not want to die, but you're making that decision because the alternative
2: is worse and less just. And it is a direct response to a terror attack. When you're arguing for a ceasefire, imagine if Japan had said right after they attacked us on mm. uh, on uh, you know the Pearl Harbor, hey. We got to have a ceasefire now.
1: Yeah, imagine if I walked up to somebody in a bar and hit them over the head with a bottle, and they're, you know, picking uh, shards out of the side of their face, and I said, "Hey, buddy, well, hold on, yeah, ceasefire time now. Let's have a ceasefire. Why are you trying to hurt me?" It's effectively what what the Hamas apologists are doing right now, and they haven't even returned the hostages. There's over 200 hostages that are still being held here, which I think one of the reasons why you see some of these lunatics. Uh, you don't see it in my neighborhood in Miami Beach. No one's pulling down the, the hostage flyers. But in other places, you've seen these lunatics pulling down flyers that show the hostages is that the bad guys take hostages. And, and that's a really tough one to get around. Right. The bad guys are the ones that are taking children, elderly people and threatening to
2: murder them if they don't get their way politically, including 10 Americans, which everybody just seems to want to forget about. Remember, Joe Biden yeah. went to Israel and returned without getting the American hostages released. And to your point. It's not as if these are enemy combatants. I think we have Cori Bush here, too. She's a Democrat from Missouri, part of the left-wing pro-Palestine, giving excuses for Hamas contingent of the Democrat Party. Here she is losing it. This is about as unhinged as you'll see somebody on the House floor soundbuck. Let's play Cut 17.
3: It's outrageous that my colleagues are blatantly, blatantly attempting to silence the only Palestinian American representative right here. Um, it's outrageous, but it's not surprising. And let me tell you, it's not surprising because this place is where 1,700 members of Congress, this elected body enslaved black people. It's not surprising because they thought it was right. It's not surprising because this is a place where members continue to claim that the insurrection on the Capitol just appeared to look like a normal tourist Visit and let me say this she mourns for the 1400 the is gentle raising, time has expired. she mourns for the 10000 and she will not stop no the more, time no 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 she's fire now and she takes the, the death threat that you all send
6: that that they the send away, is Mr. no longer Speaker.
3: recognized she she said said the gentleman from maryland
6: you heard, you heard the desire to save lives is greater
3: than
1: gentle, gentleman from maryland is recognized That's okay. what i said there's a lot a lot going on there
2: I mean baseball. that is messy even for deranged house standards of behavior now, can I just uh, uh, just what? It... leave
1: does not mourn for the 1400 Israelis who are killed the first thing that she does is go out there and say I'm so scared for what the response will be against Palestinians there was' there was no time spent mourning for the 1400 Israelis who were brutally murdered by terrorists in an, in and in ways that are are so grotesque and so barbaric that uh, we were just talking about this in the drive up uh, it's it's something that stays with you when you just read the descriptions, never mind those people who have seen their video, there's photos. Um, the decision was made by Hamas not only to kill as many civilians as possible, but to do so in the most gruesome and sadistic way possible, to show that this is really about a hatred of the Jewish people first and foremost. Rashida Dalit doesn't address any of that. She pretends that this is like... A resistance movement that's hoping for a swap of territory that's fighting with Geneva Convention rules is completely insane.
2: How about the fact that she tried to connect condemning a terror attack that killed 1,400 innocent people with the actions of slavery in the United States? I I know that the concept of the Democrat Party trying to tie everything back to hundreds of years ago but to argue that there is some sort of moral equivalency between condemning an endorsement of uh, terror attacks and a refusal to condemn them with slavery existing is so broken-brained that even left-wing Democrats have to be astounded that that argument could attempted to be made on the House floor. And I hope, Cory Bush, a lot of these uh, Democrat uh, congressmen and women are going to get primaried. I hope there's somebody in the St. Louis area with a functional brain because it's a Democrat seat. It's going to be a Democrat representative. Surely there's got to be somebody that the St. Louis area can send us that is more intelligent and more able to do the job than Corey Bush. Clay, you also have to
1: just take a step back and ask the question, the people who are making these entreaties now on behalf of the ceasefire or that are making excuses for Hamas or... Um, what is it that they think Israel should actually do? I, I keep asking this question. Answer the a question. Cease, yeah. A ceasefire for how long? How long is that ceasefire supposed to last? Is it supposed to be indefinite? So they don't, because if the answer is yes, it's indefinite, well, then they don't actually believe in the Israeli right to self-defense against a terrorist group that's right on its borders. Um, they they don't want to tell people what they really want here as the end state, which is the end of the Jewish state. That's the, the only acceptable position for the people that make apologies for Hamas and for the Palestinian cause and all the rest of it uh, is the end of Israel. And everything else is really just noise. And that's what you see from the numerous uh, failed negotiated uh, attempts to end this conflict with offers made for a vast majority of the terror. They don't want a deal. They want the end of Israel. And everything else that all these people—they're talking about Palestine the sympathy for the Palestinian cause and how Gaza, oh, people are poor and it's rough there and everything else. They got b- billionaires running around Qatar who are supposed to be running the Palestinian, uh, you know, territories. They got billionaires who are flying on private jets. They don't care about these people because they're supposed to be kept there effectively as, uh, as, as pawns in a broader game of. Honestly, just anti-Semitic sentiment from across the Middle East. That's really what this is all about.
2: And that's why Joe Biden is trying to finesse this divide in his party by endorsing a pause, which is not a ceasefire. But you also don't hear how long the pause should last. I mean, now they're playing semantic games. But it
1: isn't it amazing you talk about Joe Biden and finesse and you realize... That's not going to go well. (laughs) He's not a finesse guy these days, that's for sure. I'm not sure Joe Biden has the ability to do anything these days, much less, yes. He's not, he doesn't have dexterity, he does not have finesse. Uh, We'll get back into all this in a sec, 800-282-2882. Remember, we got President Trump joining us, third hour of the program, so stick around. Are you a Black Friday type of person? As many of you can probably guess, I'm not. To me, Black Friday is kind of like Bus 27. It can be loud, annoying, and something to be avoided. So how do you get great holiday deals without the chaos? You go to LegacyBox.com. They're offering early access right now to their Black Friday pricing, but you don't have to wait for Black Friday. LegacyBox is the company that digitally transfers old media like videotapes, cassettes, films, photos, slides, and so much more. Their $9 per videotape sale is one of their best deals of the year. That's more than 60% off their regular prices. So if you have a bunch of videotapes you've been holding on to, and Clay and I have both done this ourselves, now is the time to transfer what's on them to a digital file so that you can watch it and share it and enjoy it and post it online. Legacy Box does all this work by hand, making sure your precious memories are perfectly transferred. They receive your tapes, make the transfer, and then send them all back along with your new digital files. Get started today. Go online to LegacyBox.com slash Buck To get their $9 per videotape deal, skip the Black Friday chaos and do something sentimental for your family this holiday season. Give the gift of restored memories at LegacyBox.com slash B-U-C-K.
3: Don't miss a minute of Clay and Buck. And get behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. Subscribe to CNB 24-7. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.
0: More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
1: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. A lot of videos of individuals who have been tearing down signs, many of these taking place in New York City, of Israelis presently being held hostage in Gaza. There have been some tense um, confrontations that have taken place there. Is the White House's view that these actions should be condemned, the pulling of the pulling down of them, or that
3: that's
5: a form of peaceful protest?
3: Look, I, I have. I've sort of, kind of seen the reporting here and there. I think it was from last week, so there's right? Been like
5: thirty million videos that have gone around. No, I
3: know, I much. hear you. I hear you. I'm just not going to, uh, I'm not going okay? to. I'm not okay. going.
0: Is that peaceful protest? to pull that down, or should it, it, you not be? Noticed? I'm
3: just not going to go into uh, specifics on that particular thing. I
1: think it's pretty easy, actually. That was Marie Jean Pierre, and it seemed like she didn't want to answer the question. What do you think about? those who are going around ripping down photos of people who have been seized as hostages, their lives hanging in the balance by Hamas, a vile terrorist entity, what do you think of it? And from the White House podium, Karine Jean-Pierre doesn't want to say, you know what, maybe even they have a right to do it, although I think, you know, are you like kind of destroying property by ripping someone's poster up? But, you know, we believe in free speech, but we think that's gross. They won't say it. Because there's a big chunk of the Democrat Party, Clay, that are honestly Hamas apologists slash anti-Semites.
2: That's reality. What about I kind of sort of have seen the reporting? It's everywhere. Her job is to be the White House press secretary. Even if you claim that you aren't seeing all of these viral videos it has been written up in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, in the Wall Street Journal. All of them have had big feature pieces on the fact that these uh, these hostage uh, placards, these posters that are all over the place, have become major cultural flashpoints to claim that she isn't aware of it even going on is a step Where she, beyond where she's not giving you an actual opinion, which should be, Hey, we want to, all the hostages to come back. We don't think it's helpful to tear those down. She's claiming that she's not even that well versed in the story to try to give herself an out on why she doesn't want to comment on it, which is 100% a lie, but goes to ultimately the Democrat party is being torn asunder based on identity politics.
1: Well, there's no, there's no way for them. To have their their feet on both sides of the line here, right? I mean, they, yes. you can't straddle this one. You're you're either you're either on board for Israel defending itself after its own version of 9 11, or you're making excuses for a terrorist entity that was beheading babies. I mean, that, that's that's what's going on here. Um, let's take some of your calls as we said. Let's get to and this is in reference to last night, which was disappointing for Republicans, but you know, at least it's not 2024 disappointing. Uh, we'll take uh, B.D. in Lexington, Kentucky, on the governor's race there. What's up?
6: Good afternoon, gentlemen. Um Last night, as I was watching the returns come in for the governor's race, um, I kind of saw how the narrative this morning would be thrown out by the national media. I thought that they would be pushing that Kentucky is somehow starting to um, affirm the president's agenda, and I think that something actually really unique happened last night and the story isn't being told. I think it came down to the fact that Kentucky has a very popular governor who has helped guide the state through the devastating tornadoes in Western Kentucky, um, the unprecedented flooding in the already impoverished Eastern Kentucky. He brought, um, sports gambling to the table that we finally have, even though, again, BD can I ask who do you vote for neighboring states? Yes. I actually voted for, uh, for Daniel Cameron. Okay. Uh, but I will say I was undecided until I stepped into the booth.
2: So and my thing, I, I appreciate you laying out why Bashir might be popular. Um, the guy was wrong on everything related to COVID. He kept kids in masks for years in the state of Kentucky. So I understand. I, I hope that every governor would be good responding to floods or tornadoes that take place in their state. Uh, I think Kentucky got it wrong. And frankly, it's disappointing that even in a red state, a governor who failed on everything related to COVID didn't bear the consequences. And if you want to talk about threats to democracy, to me, not being able to be held accountable for failures, I'll just say it: people are tougher on John Calipari as a basketball coach in Kentucky than they are on the governor for how he responded to COVID. I just learned that's the backwards. Kentucky basketball—they're tougher there on Mark Stoops too. Uh, Your football and basketball basketball coaches are held to a higher standard of job performance than your governor. I think that's backwards.
1: Hillary Clinton had some words to say about Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's going to have some words with us here in the third hour. So stick around. That's all coming up.
0: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
1: He has the smarts.